Jim Stroud fights to save America from the woke agenda by exposing the left and inspiring right turns with facts and informed opinions. Prepare yourself for intriguing interviews, political snark, and social commentary from a patriotic and conservative perspective. And it all starts in three, two, one. The Things I Think About podcast begins now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Things I Think About podcast. This is your host, Jim Stroud. Know me, love me, hate me. I don't know. I'm just glad that you're there <laughs> listening. Today, as always, I have a very special guest. Special guest, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, so my name is Cam Edwards. I am the editor at BearingArms.com. I'm also the host of the Cam and Company podcast, which uh, focuses as well on Second Amendment news and issues, as uh, as does Bearing Arms, the website. That's B-E-A-R, not uh, B-A-R-E. So it's not about you know showing off your uh, your biceps. It's a different kind of gun that we like to talk about there on the Ooh. website, Jim. Look at that. <laughs> For the benefit of other listeners, I'm flexing my guns. Ugh. That's right. They're out there. They're out there. Well, thank you so much, sir, for being on the show. Um, oh, thanks for the invite. Yeah, for starters, let me uh, quote you the Houston Chronicle. Uh, this article uh, appeared on my radar uh, literally earlier today, actually. So um, let me just quote this one, one sentence here. Uh, the headline says Texas will soon become largest state so far to enact a constitutional carry gun law. And first sentence says when Texas so-called constitutional carry law takes effect this week, experts don't expect to see an immediate increase in gun violence. But some suggest that crimes involving firearms may slowly creep up as more people carry them in public, end quote. My initial thought is. If there are more guns visible in public, that there will be less crime because there are more guns in public. Um, but that's just my thinking. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I got to say, I think the um, I think the theory is a little off here because we're talking about people who are, you know, legally allowed to carry a firearm. Uh, and, and, you know, when you have a state like Texas adopt constitutional carry, basically what that means is. You no longer have to get a government permission slip to exercise your right. However, if you are prohibited by law from carrying a firearm, either you're a convicted felon, you've been adjudicated mentally defective, you're still not able to carry. So I, I don't really see this as a law that's going to uh, somehow enable criminals to start carrying a firearm. I think what this is uh, largely going to do is uh, allow those individuals who may not be able to afford a concealed carry license um, and, and those who, you know, for maybe whatever reason, don't have time to get a concealed carry license. Something has popped up in their life. They've got maybe an abusive ex or a stalker who's shown up mm. uh, and they don't have, you know, a month to wait for that government permission slip uh, before they exercise their right to carry. Now those folks can do so uh, and they don't have to worry about breaking the law. But Texas is the 22nd state to adopt constitutional carry. So it's not like this is brand new. And frankly, what we've seen in the other states that have adopted uh, similar laws is that people still get their concealed carry license. Uh, you know, a lot of folks want to have that license so that they can carry outside of their home state. The Second Amendment is one of those. It's the only right I know, Jim, where your rights stop at the border of the state where you live. 
You know, if, if you live in the state of Texas and you were to travel to, uh, let's say, Wisconsin, um, you would need to have a concealed carry license in order for you to lawfully exercise, exercise your Second Amendment rights in that state. Um, so there'll be plenty of people who I think will, will continue to uh, go through the training, go through the process of uh, recertifying themselves and, and keeping that concealed carry license active. Um, but really, I think it's just a it's to me, it's a big step towards recognizing that our rights shouldn't come uh, with a government permission slip attached to them. Sure, sure. I like what you said, government permission slip. It really, this is something I've always sort of found confusing about this whole thing. Now, Second Amendment, we have the right to bear arms. Why do I need a permission slip, as you said? It, why is, why is it, it seemed like that, since that's in the Constitution, that's across the board, uh, like gravity. Uh, it seems like anything on top of that is contradictory to our constitution. I mean, or am I just, I mean, you, you did mention about, you know, um, being uh, mental health issues or, or felon issues, which, you know, common sensical. Um, but beyond that, it seemed like it's, it's like you have the right to eat, but I'm going to keep food from you, but you have the right to eat, but I'm gonna still keep the food from you. It, yeah. Is, is that, is, is it just me or is that just crazy? No, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, you know, you've got the right to do a podcast, but we're going to make you apply for a license before uh, we let you speak into a microphone. I mean, that would be absurd. And yet that is sort of how we treat the Second Amendment. Uh, I think I think part of the issue is, you know, you go back to the Bill of Rights and it was originally designed to prohibit the federal government from infringing on our rights. And so mm-hmm. it, it left it open to the states, right? If the states wanted to pass their own gun control laws, they could do so. Uh, and you look back through our nation's history in the 19th century, we had a number of states, for instance, that uh, either regulated or, or forbade the carrying of concealed firearms, uh, saying basically, you know, if you want to carry, carry openly, but uh, we don't want you to hide them away. Well, now things have changed. Now the standard, I think, is to carry concealed and not openly. Uh, but, you know, we still, I think, have the courts that need to sort of catch up uh, to, to where the Bill of Rights is. Uh, back in 2010, the Supreme Court struck down the city of Chicago's handgun ban. Uh, and in doing mm-hmm. so, they said that the Second Amendment not only protects our right to keep and bear arms against federal intrusion, but against intrusion and infringement by any level of government. So the city of Chicago uh, can't ban handguns. The state of Illinois can't ban handguns. Uh, and, and the federal government can't do that either. But we still have, I think, a lot of courts around the country we don't really like that idea. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've sort of been over backwards to justify keeping some of these state level and, and in some cases, federal level gun control laws on the books. You mentioned Chicago, which is, is always comes up in, in these debates. I, when I saw this article, I can immediately hear from the left how there are more guns that are going to be more violent. And then I also hear in the other side of my ear, you have Chicago where you have so much gun violence and they have the strictest gun laws uh, available. Uh, how, do you, how do you reconcile that because to, to a, a leftist who says, well, we need to have more gun laws because there's so much violence, but it clearly doesn't work. Yeah. How do you reconcile that to a leftist? You know, I think it's, I, it, it's, I think it's pretty easy in a way. It depends on what type of leftist you're talking about, right? So if you're mm. talking about the more uh, establishment uh, a lefty, let's say, you know, the, 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 the Nancy Pelosi's of the world, the Joe Biden's mm. of the world, that's a different argument than when if you're talking to like the AOC's of the world, right? Mm. Um, 
you know, for those folks on the left who talk about wanting to defund the police and, and reimagine the criminal justice system, I think making a, a pro Second Amendment argument is actually really easy because all we have to do is talk about uh, the number of arrests for nonviolent possessory offenses that put people in prison for something that, frankly, isn't even a crime in most states. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you look at uh, New York City, for example, if you get caught carrying a gun without a license in New York City, it's supposed to be a mandatory minimum three and a half years in prison. Well, the average citizen can't get a carry license in New York City. They're just not given out. Uh, Meanwhile, you've got a lot of folks who live in, you know, high crime neighborhoods. They want to protect themselves and they may choose to carry a firearm in violation of the law, not because they have any violent criminal intent, but because they want to make it home safely at night. Um, and I think that there are some folks on the left who actually understand that. Now, the more establishment Democrats, they're the ones who I think are, are really invested in the idea of gun control, of banning and arresting our way to safety. If we just put more laws on the books, uh, then, uh, you know, that's going to make everything better. And then I think you actually have to, you know, go to the history of the gun control movement. What happened in Chicago when it banned handguns? What happened in Washington, D.C. when it had a handgun ban in place? Well, what, why is California's uh, violent crime soaring right now, despite the fact that you've got, you know, 10 day waiting periods, you've got one gun a month laws, you've got may issue concealed carry licenses. And, and you can point to the fact that even if people don't like the constitution, they don't like the fact that we have a second amendment. The bottom line is that, you know, these gun control laws are aimed at reducing legal gun ownership far more than they're aimed at reducing violent crime. And, and I think that's where we sort of get stuck, Jim, because there are some folks on the left who, frankly, they don't really care if gun control works to, to make our community safer. They just don't like guns. They don't want you to own one. They don't want me to own one. Uh, and so they're fine with any law in the books that will actually make it harder for us to exercise a civil right. And that's when I think, you know, if it gets to that point, you just ultimately have to call them out and, and ask them, why are you trying to make it harder? Mm-hmm. for folks to exercise their their individual liberties. Why do you want to be on the side of the forces of repression in this country and keeping people away from their rights as opposed to encouraging them to exercise their rights responsibly, uh, encouraging them to you know do so safely, but encouraging them to exercise their rights? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's sort of an, an elitist mindset. I look at Corey Bush, who said, you know, defund the police, but I'm going to have my security yeah. professionals around me at taxpayer expense. <laughs> I, I may add, it's it's weird how much things have changed over the years from when I was a child. I don't want to date myself too much, but if playing cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians or having a Lone Ranger gun and playing around. In the neighborhood with other kids, it wasn't a big deal. It, it, mm-hmm. People weren't screaming, and, and, and from what I could tell, it didn't increase crime in the neighborhood when you're playing with with toy guns um, uh, back then. Um, I'm sure there have been studies. Uh, maybe you've heard there have been studies of studying kids playing with guns and how to translate into more violence, or it doesn't translate to more violence. Anything you can say on, on that regard? Yeah, there actually was a study that came out uh, not too long ago. I think this was a, a European study, um, mm. and it found no connection, and uh, which kind of surprised me because you would think, you know, Europe, they're a little more anti-gun than they are here, but they actually found no connection between kids playing with guns, uh, toy guns, you know, cops and robbers, uh, and increased levels of violence, either in adolescence or 
as adults. And I, 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 to me, that makes sense because as long as you're modeling, I mean, if you think back to when you were playing cops and robbers, Mm -hmm. so not only are you playing with toy guns, but you're modeling good behavior and bad behavior, right? There's, 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 you know, the, uh, side that you want to be on. There's a side that you don't want to be on. There's a good, good guy and a bad guy in that situation. I think one of the problems that we have right now is that, you know, we sort of live in the age of the anti-hero um, and the good guys aren't supposed to be good guys. And in some cases, they're not allowed to be good guys. Uh, and, and the bad guys, so to speak, are often promoted uh, as uh, either celebrities or, you know, there's, there's a very thin line between fame and infamy. And I think in our culture, we do a, sadly, I think we do a better job of promoting infamy uh, than we do, you know, promoting real acts of heroism and courage and the type of behavior that we want our kids to be modeling. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, that what comes to mind is, uh, I guess, a famous example now, the McCluskey's. Uh, they were people uh, minding their own business in their home. There was a big protest or peaceful protest, <laughs> fiery but peaceful protest going through a neighborhood. And uh, riders uh, broke through a gated community and were um, um, saying that they would take over their house and take their property. So they stood outside, brandished their weapon, and discouraged them. And the, the writers went on about their way. And the prince went out of their way to make the McCluskeys look crazy, to make them look like they were just lunatics for wanting to defend their own home. It, it, it just boggled my mind when I, when I saw that report. Um, that should be the norm, I would think. Someone tries to take up your property, you step outside, you don't want to go to another level. You just sort of show them that, hey, this is, this is what's coming your way if you want to go there. And then they just go on about their way. Why is that such so crazy or so evil to to leftists? I think. You know, you're asking me to delve deep into the dark recesses <laughs> of the, uh, the leftist mind here. I I don't know how how well I can do that, but I, I you know I, I think so. I think there are a couple of issues. I think one, the fact that the McCloskeys, like if the McCloskeys didn't live in a big mansion in a mm. gated community. If instead they lived in a working class neighborhood, you know, had a little two bedroom bungalow. I don't know that actually this would have been as big a story as it was. Um, I, I think part of this was the story of, look, here are these rich, high powered trial attorneys living in their renovated mansion. Uh, and when the you know, the, this, this group of people who are protesting for justice uh, walks through their neighborhood, what, what do they do? They, they run out there with their guns and they threaten these people. And that was the narrative that was set, right? As opposed to the narrative that you just described. You got a couple who were just sitting at home on a, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. They yeah. were barbecuing and all of a sudden they hear, you know, this crowd of people storming through their uh, gated community. Uh, and they were concerned about what might happen because, you know, at the time St. Louis had been rocked by really severe riots. I mean, there'd been a lot of property damage. There had been death and destruction. You had a, a former St. Louis police officer who was killed defending uh, one of his buddy's businesses. Um, and, and, you know, those were the circumstances under which the McCloskey said, okay, we don't know what's going to happen next. So we're going to grab our guns. We're going to stand out on our yard and we're going to tell people get the heck away from us, you know, keep moving. Um, you know, the, the, the left ultimately, I think objects to anything that gets in the way of their ideology. And so when they decide to break through 
a gate, an inner a gated community. We're not supposed to talk about private property rights. We're not supposed to talk about uh, the castle doctrine and being able to protect you know, your home and your castle. Instead, we're just supposed to shut up and listen to what they have to say uh, and agree with their grievances. Uh, and you know, if, if we don't do that, then all of a sudden we become uh, part of the problem in their eyes anyway. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what are some stories you perhaps you could share that people left or right don't necessarily hear in the news? Cause usually when you hear about a gun in the news, it's, it's in a negative light. I think of guns myself as tools. You, know, you leave a bunch of guns on the table, they're not going to jump up and sporadically and start spontaneously shooting you. It takes a person to actually pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are different stories out there, perhaps you could relate, where guns are shown in a positive light. Could you maybe relate one to me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we cover armed citizen stories every day on, on Cam and Company, the podcast that I do, because you're right. It, these are stories that rarely make the national media. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, even in the local media, a lot of times you'll get a, a, brief mention on the local newscast and then they quickly move on to another story but i'll tell you the one that i've been thinking about a lot last couple of days i wrote a piece at barryandarms.com about the number of uber and lyft drivers that have been murdered on the job this year oh wow 12 of them um and i interviewed a woman earlier this year named cynthia norman uh she lives in cleveland ohio she was a lyft driver she's also a concealed carry holder Mm. and she got um a fair one night basically it was uh, right around midnight and uh, she went to this apartment complex picked up two guys um she said one of them you know usually you're both supposed to sit in the back seat she said one of them asked if they could sit in the passenger seat and said the norm is a nice person so she said sure so she takes them where they're supposed to go and it, it's it's closed it's a uh i think it was like a rec center that had been uh, it was closed for the night and when she pulled in the parking lot she went oh she kind of knew, okay, this is a setup. And sure enough, the guy in the back seat reached around, grabbed her by the neck. The guy in the passenger side uh, started assaulting her. And Cynthia grabbed her gun and she fired several shots. Uh, still don't know if she hit either one of the guys, but they took off running. Sure. And, uh, and, and Cynthia is alive and well today. But when uh, Lyft contacted her because you know she obviously called the police let him know mm. what had happened and then mm. she gets a, a call from uh, lyft corporate asking her to explain what happened as soon as she mentioned i pulled out my gun the lyft representative said okay just so you know you're no longer driving for us because we have a policy what? that our drivers have to be disarmed yeah both uber and lyft actually say even if you have a concealed carry license even if you're in your own car if you are driving for the company, if you're on the clock, you have to be unarmed. And if they find out that you're not, even if you're acting in self-defense, you know, you, you can no longer contract with them. And so here is a woman who literally saved her life and lost her job because of it. Uh, and, and I think a lot about Cynthia Norman and these other drivers because it, it, it disgusts me that we've got these uh, corporations that are forcing people to choose between a paycheck and their personal safety. Uh, and, you know, in Cynthia Norman's case, and in a lot of these other drivers' cases, they are, they're choosing to violate that company policy uh, because their attitude is, I'd rather get fired than be killed. Sure. So if they find out sooner or later that I'm, you know, carrying against company policy, well, I guess I'll lose my, my job, but I get to go home to my family at night. Uh, and I just think it's, you know, I think it's really gross, Jim. I'm, look, I'm a capitalist. 
Mm. But I think it is really gross when we've got these companies that are forcing Americans to make those types of decisions between their personal safety and their livelihood. Wow. Wow. I had not heard that story. I guess it's in Uber and Lyft's benefit to suppress information like that is bad <laughs> for their business. Uh, wow. If I were going to buy a gun right now, let's just imagine I don't have a, I don't have a nine millimeter clock. Okay. Uh, handy <laughs> next to me. If right you're going to buy your next gun, yeah. Uh, what are the uh, proper steps? You know, if I'm going to do this legally and lawfully, and not buy it from uh, John Doe on the corner, or somebody doesn't gift it to me, um, mm-hmm. what are the steps that I need to do to purchase the firearm? Can I just go to Walmart? Because when I hear people from the left say I can just go to a gun show and just buy it and walk out the door. Is that true? Well, you won't be able to do that at a Walmart uh, for <laughs> sure. In fact, Walmart's gotten rid of, of most of the firearms that uh, that they uh, used to sell now. They have really scaled back in terms of their uh, gun purchases or their, their mm. guns for uh, for sale. But generally speaking, no. Um, the, the, the rule is this. If you are in the business of selling firearms, then every time you sell a gun, you've got to put a buyer through a background check. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're at a gun store. It doesn't matter if you're at a gun show. It doesn't matter if someone contacts you online and says, hey, I saw your website. Um, if you are a, a federally licensed firearms retailer, you must put your buyers through a background check. If, on the other hand, you know you are a gun owner and you're selling a gun from your collection, like if I sell a handgun to my neighbor, mm. um, as a private seller, I don't have to put that buyer through a background check at the federal level. Now, there are some states that have, you know, quote unquote, universal background checks. And so the laws will vary from state to state. Uh, Virginia's law is really screwy. We had Democrats take over our state legislature a couple of years ago. And one of the first things they did was put a universal background check law in place. So our law in Virginia says if you sell a gun to anybody, like I saw, if I sold a gun to my son, I would have to put my son through a background check. Mm. But if you gift somebody a gun even a perfect stranger, uh, you don't have to put them through a background check. So again, uh, you know, they, they, they talk about using uh, universal background checks to, you know, to quote unquote, close loopholes, mm-hmm. but they created one there. Uh, hmm. And, and uh, you know, I still don't really understand the logic behind it, but generally speaking, if you go to a gun store or you go to a gun show and you're dealing with a licensed uh, firearms retailer, you're going to have to fill out what's called a form 4473. Uh, this is a federal form. This is the federal background check form. You're going to have to answer, you know, basic questions uh, of where you live. Are you a prohibited person? Are you an unlawful user of uh, drugs, including marijuana? Even if uh, marijuana has been legalized in your state, uh, the federal government doesn't care about that. So you can be perfectly fine, uh, you know, token up at the state level, but the federal government still views you as prohibited by law from, from buying a firearm. And they still do enforce that law, uh, despite the growing number of states that have, you know, legalized cannabis. So it's very important that you not lie on the 4473 because that is a federal crime. Um, But once you fill out that 4473, you hand it back to the uh, gun store employee, they'll contact the National Instant Check System. And generally, it is fairly instant. Uh, You might be waiting a few minutes. It is possible that, uh, let's say, you've got a, a common name and there's somebody else with your name that's prohibited. It might take the FBI a little bit more time to uh, try to figure out, okay, is, is this person 
who they say they are? Are mm. they, you know, somebody else? Um, but, but generally speaking, you know, within a few minutes to a few hours, that check is going to come back. And once you're approved, uh, then yes, you can complete the sale and you can walk out with your firearm. So it's, it's not instantaneous, but, you know, I, I, I think um, it is important that we don't put artificial barriers between ourselves and our rights. And so, you know, folks who say, well, we need that 10 day waiting period. Um, we need the ability to, to tell people, uh, hang on, you know, we don't know why you want to get that gun, but maybe you need to, you know, a couple of days to think about whether you really want it. I think those laws are, are absolutely silly. Um, it's not up to anybody else to determine when I choose to exercise my right. It is not up to anybody else to decide whether or not it's, it's important that I exercise my right now or wait 10 days. It's up to me to make those decisions. Uh, but that's generally speaking the process of how you go about buying a firearm these days. Now, once you've gone through the background check, I, I imagine it's your name is on some sort of government database as someone who has purchased or registered a weapon of some sort. Well, so true? under well under federal law, the government is not allowed to keep or establish a, a database, a gun registry. Um, so what they do instead is the, the NICS checks will be destroyed after, I believe it's 60 days. I think that's how long the federal government can hang on to, to their records. But the FFL, the person you buy the gun from, they're, they're going to keep a record of sale. Uh, and they're not allowed to dispose of that record of sale. So when the ATF, let's say um, a gun's recovered at a murder scene and they want to try to mm -hmm. trace that gun back, mm -hmm. um, they'll first contact the manufacturer. Uh, and then the manufacturer can go through their sales record and say, all right, based on this serial number, we sold it to distributor XYZ. And then ATF will contact the distributor and the distributor say, well, we sold it to gun store ABC. Uh, and then the gun store can say, we sold it to John Doe. So there, there is a process by which the federal government can trace the sale of firearms back to that original retail sale. But under federal law, they're not allowed to maintain any sort of master list of gun owners. And because we do allow for private sales of firearms in, in most states around the country, uh, that also prevents the federal government from having a, a list of, of gun owners because John Doe could buy that gun at retail. But that doesn't mean that John Doe actually still has possession of that, that gun, right? He could have sold it to uh, his sister or his neighbor or somebody else. Uh, and as that was a private sale, the government is not going to have a record of that transaction. Interesting. Interesting. And I think, well, of course, uh, politicians are well aware of that, which is why I think I have noticed, and you, you certainly would know better than me, an increase in ammunition prices uh, oh, where yeah. it's uh, so it's like we're not going to ban guns per se, but we're going to make it really expensive to have target practice. Uh, have you noticed that? Yeah, and there's, so there are a couple of things going on. The federal government hasn't really um, done anything to increase the the price of ammo. Some states, uh, I think, have have um, made it more difficult. California, for instance, has banned um, lead ammunition in uh, most parts of the state, and so it's uh, it's made it a little bit more pricey because now you got to get like the copper jacketed rounds. But really, what's driving the the increase in ammo prices is the surge in gun sales. Uh, and, you know, you go back to March of 2020, which is when we really saw that sales spike begin. And since then, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is the firearms industry trade group, um, they're estimating, I think it was 
8 million firearms sold last year. Wow. We're averaging, um, a, we're probably going to end up with about 21 or 22 million uh, this year. So, and they estimate about 40% of those gun purchases were from new gun owners. So if all of a sudden you add in, let's say 10 million new gun owners, and every one of those 10 million gun owners wants 200 rounds of ammunition, all of a sudden yeah. that's a, a huge impact on the ammo market. Plus sure. we had existing gun owners who were really freaked out when the uh, first you know shutdown orders came down. And then in June of last year, when uh, the riots and unrest broke out, you saw another spike in sales. And so the, the demand for ammunition has simply outstripped the supply. A lot of these ammo uh, manufacturers will tell you that they're backordered now, you know, a year and a half, two years, because they just cannot keep up with the demand. And of course, when supply is tight, prices go up. Sure. Uh, and, and I think that's what we've seen with ammo. So I, the good news is I do expect to see a gradual easing of the, uh, the tightness in the supply. And hopefully that will lead to a gradual reduction in the cost of ammo. But we're probably still, I would say, at least a year away uh, from, from seeing that, you know, that, that at the, uh, at the retail level. One more, uh, train of thought, um, to, to, to travel down because I can't resist. I have been hearing a lot about, uh, uh, non-lethal weapons. Uh, this is one particular manufacturer burner, uh, for example, where you can fire, uh, non-lethal bullets. Uh, they're like, um, gas pellets or something. Mm -hmm. uh, that and one is another one's like a paintball kind of thing in a sense. Uh, would you, when I was talking with someone about it, they were saying, yes, burners are cool, but you know, why bother? <laughs> it sort of defeats the purpose of, of getting a gun if you're going to be non-lethal, you know. Um, have you, well, my question is this, have you noticed a surge in non-lethal gun weapons, non-lethal weapons like, like burner? And if so, what have you heard about the whole non-lethal weapon trend because it know, seems to be I, trending. Yeah. I haven't heard of, of like any huge uh, surge in sales, although I wouldn't be surprised if actually, you know, we have seen that because, you know, one of the things I think that, that a lot of Americans across the political spectrum um, have realized over the last year and a half is that they are responsible for their own safety. Uh, and whether it's, you know, hundreds of police officers retiring in your city or just a rise in violent crime. Sure. Uh, people are, are, are thinking more about their personal safety and not everybody wants to own a gun. I, I, I recognize that. And, and frankly, my attitude is if you don't want to own a gun, don't buy one. I, I don't want you to own one either. If you don't want to own one, I don't want you to be, you know, pressured or bullied. I mean, listen, if you don't want to have a gun in your house, then don't have a gun in your house, but don't get in my way of exercising my rights. So um, the idea that people would say, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I do want to protect myself, but I, I don't know how I feel about having a gun in my home. Um, or I, you know, I just feel kind of, I don't know how I would be with a gun. Um, it would not surprise me at all if non-lethal uh, self-defense options were, were becoming more popular. But I, I, I'm kind of with you. I mean, it, it particularly if I'm talking about home defense, I'm not interested in, in giving a home intruder a headache uh, or a bruise <laughs> if they come through my door in the middle of the night. You know, I want to be able to stop the threat. And, right. and, and at that point, you know, I want something that, that will do that. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I, I never plan on using my firearm unless I am in fear of my life or the life of my family. 
Sure. Uh, and, and if that situation ever comes to pass, God forbid, I want to be able to stop the threat and not just annoy them. Plus, it also slows down the possibility of them coming back to sue you later, for <laughs> which yeah, in this litigious society. I mean, have you heard, you've heard stories like that before? Someone shoots an intruder and they come back and try to sue them? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there was a case. And this is probably a few years ago now, but uh, there was actually a case I remember out of Wisconsin and a guy broke into a home. He actually broke in like through the roof and he ended up dropping down into a hallway and the homeowner was sleeping in his bedroom, heard a noise out in the hallway, grabbed his gun, saw this sort of shadow moving towards his kid's bedroom and he opened fire and he ended up paralyzing the guy. Uh, and the guy ended up suing the homeowner. Uh, I, I don't think he, I don't think he won his case, but, uh, but you know, look, that homeowner still had to hire an attorney, right. Still had to go through the whole process of defending himself. So he was still out several thousand dollars. Sure. Um, but here's the thing, you know, Jim, as you well know, we live in such a litigious society that yeah. even if you were to drop that home invader, um, their mom or dad or their son or daughter, or their cousin, you know, could always file suit. There's, there's always somebody that can file a lawsuit. So, yeah. you know, that, that is something that I do want people to keep in mind is that, you know, life isn't like Hollywood. I mean, if you are forced to use a gun in self-defense, regardless of how justified you are, the police are going to come out. They're going to investigate. You may very well get taken into custody. You may very well face charges. Even if, even if you were acting in uh, self-defense, um, you, your case may go to trial. You may face civil litigation. You know, it acting in self-defense does not come without its own risks, but being unable to act in self-defense also presents risks, right? So, I mean, sure. it's just like everything else in this world. You've, you've got to sort of make that decision on your own as to, uh, you know, what, what you think the right decision uh, would be. And frankly, I would rather risk being sued. I'd rather risk going to court than not be able to protect the people I love. Valid, very strong argument. Very strong argument. I totally, totally agree with you. Uh, you know guns, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> if someone wanted to get more information uh, from you and to um, consume some of your excellent content, where can they find you again? I appreciate that, Jim. Uh, so you can find me at bearingarms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G.com. Uh, also on Rumble, you can look up Bearing Arms Cam and Company uh, on YouTube. Look up Town Hall Media. We like to make it really confusing by giving you two different names. Uh, but then uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, all the rest. Just look up uh, Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We do the show Monday through Thursday. It's a fairly fast-paced look at generally like one big Second Amendment story. But then we'll also give you an armed citizen story every day. Uh, we give you a story from the failing criminal justice system because that to me is the other side of this issue, right? Rather than putting more gun laws on the books. Let's talk about how the existing laws are being enforced. Uh, and then, because I don't think we get enough good news, I also do a segment every show called the uh, good deed of the day, where it's just somebody who's, you know, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing because darn it, we need more positive news. So I, I want to give folks at least a couple of minutes of that with every, with uh, every program. Great, great. You're a great American. I salute you. And to make it easier for all the listeners, uh, check the podcast description because links to his show are there for your convenience. Uh, sir, wow. It has truly been a pleasure. Let's do this again one day soon. This was, yeah, this was way fast, Jim. So yeah, I would, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to come back anytime. But thank you for what you're doing, man. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. 
You just heard the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, Jim Stroud wants to hear from you. Contact him at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And while you're at it, share this podcast and spread the word that it's up to us to save America.